Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Whenever I was at school, I was a straight-A student. Mm-hmm. Were for, you? Okay. For no other reason than mm. that's all I knew. I never knew that I could be less than that. The motivation behind being a high achiever is, why not? Why would I not want to be one? Yeah. Why would I want to be a low achiever? Did I enjoy it? Not overly. Um, was it necessary? Yes. Yeah. And, does it, and hindsight, was it good for me? Yes, based on where I am now. Yeah. 100%. I'm the sort of person that once the once that door creak, see that opportunity just creaks open and that there's a centimetre of a gap, my foot's going through the doors. People think financial advice and, and wealth management is all about growing your money and that is a certain element of it. But it's about managing your money and a tax perspective. You, you were telling me off cam that you manage between you and your colleague 50, 50 million pounds, right? Yeah. For your observation you know, managing a lot of wealthy people's money. What would you say the wealthy do better than the everyday person in regards to Ooh. Welcome to the Takeoff Experience where I sit down with highly driven people to talk about their journey, their failures and their successes. If you want to take off in your career, your business, your finances or your mindset, then this podcast is for you. Welcome back to the Takeoff Experience. We have a very, very special guest in the building. Oran, how are you doing today? All good, all good. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, welcome, welcome. Uh, So you're in London for the day, right? I'm in London for today. Um, I'm going to a conference tomorrow and I'm flying back tomorrow at seven o'clock. Wow. So wait, seven o'clock tomorrow night? Tomorrow night, yeah. Okay, wow. So really, really busy. Really busy. Are you working in between all of this? um, I'm between answering messages. I have the iPad with me, Mm. but I've been out all day, so I haven't got looking at it. Wow. But they make matters worse. (laughs) I'm doing my wedding course. On Saturday, wedding? I'm getting married in three weeks. Oh my god! So wait, wait, hold on. Wedding courses in what the menu, the food menu. So the... you have no, you have to do a pre-marital course. 
where ah. you go and meet and talk about stuff to do with marriage and things like that. Okay. I'm doing that on Saturday with okay. my better half, not my other half, my better half. Okay. Um, and so just flat out. But yeah. that's crazy. It's crazy that it. Mm. Who's making that mandatory for you? I'm just curious about the Catholic Church. Ah. Mm-hmm. And right, rightly so, because um, when, when when I got uh, married, uh, we also did a premarital course, uh-huh. and I'll say that's the best thing. What ever. was it like? It was good. I yeah 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 oh yeah. I'm man. looking forward to it. I think for a lot of people, they don't even speak about. They don't figure out like there's difference between people. There's nothing yeah. wrong with differences, but it's more like okay, understanding that there's differences yeah. and this how you kind of mm. respond to it. And and there's there was a lot of education around it. We mm. we did. Um, it's about six weeks. So, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. This was an intense one. What? Yeah, this was an intense one. One day. Oh, really? I mean, it's online. It's still good. Yeah, you probably. It but might be condensed. That, back before it's condensed, right? But yeah. Before, before, um, before COVID or before yeah. the pandemic, if you want to call it that, they used to do uh, in person two days, mm-hmm. and be, obviously because there was loads of people going, they would they would intensify it. But yeah. that's the way they're doing it now. Um, and we're obviously getting married in the chapel okay. in, in the city that we're from, and then we're traveling for a few hours to the Republic of Ireland, where we're having our reception or whatever it may be. So. Mm-hmm. But I, um, buzzy, buzzy, stuck in. I'm glad to be here for a couple yeah. of days, yeah. and um, I'm excited. I haven't been in London in a while, actually. The last time I was in London was this time last year mm-hmm. for the same reason. Oh, really? Okay. So um, until now, I've sort of been just deep diving into my job, obviously, and doing what I do. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to obviously seeing where it goes. Yeah. There. Good luck with the uh, with the wedding and the marriage as well. <laughs> um, on that note, who 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 is Oren? What in what way? What do you mean by that? Answer it in any way you want. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay, then I want to. No, That's the mystery of the question. I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to say is I'm the sort of guy who flies by the seat of my pants. Okay. A lot. What's that mean? By in terms of uh, not impulsive, but um, and I don't want to say I'm somebody who th- doesn't think before I speak, but I'm very. Um, I would say I'm I'm a very open minded person okay. who is not afraid to speak freely and and with fluidity. Yeah. Um. Instead of sort of second guessing the way that I talk, if that makes sense. Yeah. But me, twenty eight, young man, working hard to um change my life in a way that um I want the yeah. the life that I want to live, and then also in respect to my parents for the hard life that they work for. Um, and the privileges that it gave me. Um, and so I'm trying to just really pay homage to them, give them respect that they deserve and build on what they've already done for me. Yeah. Um, Personality-wise, oh, it's hard to know sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, what type of personality you some, yeah. Sometimes, because obviously you've got your professional point of view, yeah. um, who you are when you're in your line of work, and then you've got your sort of behind-closed-doors personality that very few people see. I'm sure you know that too. Yeah. Which, when you have a small circle, um, is pretty rare that that will probably come out. I'm going to try my best to bring some of it out now. But obviously the line of work that I'm in, you speak to hundreds and hundreds of people a year and I suppose when you're providing um, a, the level of service that we provide you have to be I don't want to say not be yourself but you have to act in a way that's polished yeah. you have okay. to be a polished version of yourself mm-hmm. whereas obviously when you go home there's an element of relaxation and yeah. listening the belt if you want to call it that Yeah. Um. so me um, I think a lot of people would think that I'm actually quite a direct forward and somewhat, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but quite okay. a direct person. 
But okay. um, personally, I'm I'm like that in some ways. Mm. But I'm somebody who's working incredibly hard on self awareness mm -hmm. and things that I've studied, which we can talk about that too. Yeah. Um, which through a thing called neuro linguistic programming. Okay. If you've heard of that. Yeah. NLP, is called. that some form of therapy? Is it in a way? It is. It yeah. is in a way. But it's it's something that can be self applied. Okay. And um, my father is a master practitioner. Right. Of okay. it. Only two. There's only two or three in Ireland. Wow. North and south, and he's one of them. Okay. And so he introduced me to that. Mm -hmm. And not only is it beneficial from a professional point of view, from a personal point of view, mm -hmm. um, it helps me learn a lot more about myself. Yeah. Just like what we talked about in terms of whenever you get married and things like that. Yeah. That there's things about each other that you need to know, but there's also things about yourself that you need to know as well. Yeah. And so all these things are just in the mix and the cement mixer. Yeah. And so I'm trying to piece it all together, but yeah. I wouldn't know how to describe myself other than somebody who's here mm -hmm. for the game mm -hmm. in terms of I'm, I'm somebody who wants to succeed. Okay. Um, not just in financial terms, but just in everything that I do. Mm -hmm. I, f I feel like I'm a high achiever and my expectations of myself. And I'm somebody who... Um, expects a lot from myself when I decide to do something. Yeah. Why? Why? Why, why is that? Uh, why is that? Why? What's the? What's the like the motivation for you know wanting to achieve a lot? Uh, I suppose. Whenever you think about things that you've done in your past, or mm -hmm. the people that have come before you, and the things that they've done, I think in some ways, in some lineages, it becomes the norm that people become achievers. Yeah. Um, and not in a, in a financial sense, financial sense in all yeah. manners. And sometimes it can be in things that people have pursued. Yeah. Success that they've had and things that are uncommon, mm -hmm. all these types of things. And where I come from, even the grammar school that I went to, there's a lot of, you know, like, prestigious individuals come from that mm -hmm. and so it feels like in some way that you're conditioned in a certain way yeah. to be the person who expects that sort of right. standard from yourself okay and so whenever i was at school i was a straight a student mm -hmm. Were for, you? Okay. for no other reason than mm. that's all i knew i never knew that i could be less than that because of the way that we were educated mm -hmm. um, and we weren't a private school by any sense mm. but it was a matter of go to school be taught what you're being taught listen to your elders and respect them and when they tell you to do your work and study mm -hmm. hard you do it and then the grades will follow mm -hmm. um and i was that up until after what i don't know what you call it here gcse level mm -hmm. and then i went to a level and i sort of became a man if you want to call it that mm -hmm. started going out and things like that and then the grades dropped off a bit because i knew there was more out there than just getting a grades yeah and then obviously i picked myself back up mm -hmm. before i went back to university but the motivation behind being a high achiever is why not? Why would I not want to be one? Yeah. Why would I want to be a low achiever? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think whenever personally, when I get up in the morning out of bed and I go to work or I go and do these things or I'm doing what I'm trying to do, especially over the last 12 months, I've thought, why would I not just go full tilt and just give it as much as I can give it? Yeah. Because if I'm not willing to, change what I'm doing in order to change what's happening to me or change the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve, then I'm just stuck in the hamster wheel. Yeah. And I'm trying to get off that wheel. Yeah. And so um there's people out there that would say take massive action. But my thing that I live by is and some people might find it hard to understand is nothing ever changes if nothing ever changes. So if you're Facts. not willing to change, 
then nothing's going to change. Facts. And that's that's the way I see it. Mm. And so, especially when we talk about doing things online, the way you approach your career or your personal life or your personality, if 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 you're not willing to change something about yourself, then how do you expect mm. yourself to change? Mm. And I don't know if people can relate to that. Yeah. You can relate to that. But that's just how it feels internally for me. Yeah. You know what's interesting, right, is that, like, you said that, um, you know, school kind of instilled in you like a high standard so you felt like you couldn't even you didn't even think about being lower than that standard yep on the flip side did you was there did you ever feel any pressure like Ugh. having to meet those standards because i feel like when you set yourself standards and you meet it mm. when it comes around to the next time you're thinking okay how can i get that again did, did you ever feel any pressure um around that not until uh i got the like a levels okay because Obviously, you have children who are certain levels of intelligence naturally. Mm -hmm. And I, from what I know or what I can look back in hindsight, feel yeah. that I was naturally intelligent when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I have a very good memory mm -hmm. in terms of when it even comes to things to do with financial planning or wealth management, yeah. studying for that, learning for that. I can memorize information in terms of I could learn a 300-page book just really? by banging it out of my mind constantly, constantly, constantly until the muscle memory makes me remember it. Okay. Not in terms of photogra photographic memory, but in terms of just... Near it, though. The pure oh, repetitiveness. Yeah, I yeah, am yeah. very good at that. Okay. And whenever I got... I know this is off topic, but whenever I got to GCSE, that's what the GCSEs are all about, is application of learned knowledge. Yeah. So it's memory tests, basically. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> basically which is what well, people is. don't figure that out. That's what it is. That's what it is. Tests. So yeah. you learn and apply, learn yeah. and apply. But when you get to that next stage, the gap's bigger. And so you have to learn what you're trying to learn and understand it and then adapt and apply it. Yeah. And so at that point I was learn and apply, but the understanding, adapting and applying was yeah. more difficult for me. Yeah. So but up until that point, um pressure, no. But at the same time, um, I was part of a family and my siblings were the same, where academics were important, but we also played music, we played instruments, we played sports. Um, and I, I think the pressure became very normalized because when you're 11 or 12 years old and you see, and I used to think about this all the time when I was going to school, people that I knew go to school at nine in the morning and leave at half past three, whereas me and my siblings would go to school in the morning then we might stay after school for study class or we might stay after school to play in a one band because I'm a trumpeter and most of my siblings are brass players. Yeah. Or um, we were playing in the basketball team or trying to play in the football team or whatever. Yeah. And so those days that we would go to school with our backpack, pack lunch, an instrument and a sports bag. <laughs> okay. Cool. And where I live has got a lot of hills. It's built in a canyon. Yeah. There's, it's not flat. Yeah. And so naturally... There was pressure there, but it was more, I think, I don't know if it was um, in terms of trying to apply pressure. There was no pressure applied. It was just people trying to give us the best start yeah. in terms of when you, when I look back and, and I look at myself now, I think I'm a really well-rounded individual. You know, like I, people would say, do you play a musical instrument? I'm surprised, and but I do. Mm. I had done for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and when it comes back to the pressure side of it, no, not much pressure, but whenever your grades slip, that's when the pressure comes in. When you're achieving and achieving and achieving and achieving and you have that certain standard. Yeah. And then you slip a bit and people start asking questions is why are you not at that standard anymore? Yeah. Then that's when the pressure comes. Yeah. 
And so I experienced that when I was doing my A-levels. Okay. But then when I went on the university then, I picked myself back up and I got back on the horse and started the XL again. Um, and the problem at the time was lack of self-awareness. Okay. And so does everybody when they're 18. Yeah, They exactly. just think they're invincible. Exactly, exactly. So you, you mentioned a little bit about where, where you're from. Where, where exactly yeah. is it? So I'm from a place uh, called Derry or okay. Derry, Londonderry. Okay. Um, which is basically a border town in the northwest of Northern Ireland. Okay. So we're basically on the the far left hand mm. side beside Donegal. Yeah. Um, and so small town. There's probably max. Well, you're maybe pushing a hundred and fifty thousand now at this point, and it's growing. So it's not huge. It's big enough for you to make a difference mm -hmm. and and do something. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also small enough where, um, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And the people, um. Who are doing well and the people who are succeeding and whatever they're doing know each other and it's it is really a connections and a networks game yeah and although that's not great they, they admit but that is the truth and yeah. albeit even in london and all our cities that's on a bigger scale that is also the case mm -hmm. but that's the way it is back home um i was brought up um in a family of six uh both parents were trained uh nurses okay um my mummy she continued on as a specialist nurse and she retired at 55. And my father, he was a mental health trained nurse. And then he started a, a business of his own when he was 26, okay. which nice. um, done well. And that's all I'm willing to say in case he watches it. <laughs> okay, because, okay, cool, um, cool, cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, yeah. disrespect him. Yeah. So, but it was big. It was big. Yeah, fair enough. And the schooling you you mentioned schooling and the high standards that yeah um, I'm I'm imagining that came from your your parents uh, and the high standards or is that is or is that is that just something that's culturally the school like that? culturally yeah. in the school, okay, school definitely in the school okay. um the school was a grammar school yeah. um two thousand boys all boys mm -hmm. grammar school and at the time whenever I was um doing my what he transfer test or 11 yeah. plus i don't know if you do that here these some sort of test between primary school and secondary school yeah yeah i can't remember now there is some places some, that do it some SATs don't some do or something like that. sats there's it's something similar to that yeah, right i think I it's think basically so, yeah, a test yeah, of yeah, like yeah. um i don't even know what it's a test of but it's a test anyway and if you get a good grade you can go to a better school basically yeah. because obviously there's no private schools back home it's just grammar schools and non-grammar schools comprehensive schools or whatever and so um, the school that I was in, 2000 Boys, was originally ran um, by the chapel. So it was, it was like a, a religious-based school where there was priests that ran it back before the 2000s. Right. And then eventually they moved on to um, non-religious people. And we didn't have a principal, we had a president. And the president at the time that I was there was a, was a priest. Okay. And he is now the Bishop of Ireland. So at the time... Uh, you had to get a certain grade to get into the school and this transfer test whenever we were 10 or 11, which was an A. Yeah. So, okay, so you had to get an A. Yeah, you had, basically you had to get an A. High standard. Well, right, I was led to believe that that was the case, yeah. but obviously it was a competitive school. Mm. Um, And when you think, albeit our city isn't big, there was people coming from outside of the city. Yeah. They go to the school um, and 2,000 boys is a lot of boys to deal with. There was one other school um, that was competitive with the school that I was at, yeah. which was called Lumen Christie College, mm -hmm. which was a lot smaller, mm -hmm. but um, it was orientated in a different way, yeah. um, which that would be more along the lines of a private school. Okay. 
It was still a grammar school, yeah. but the way that it operated was quite close to a grammar school. It used to be a boarding school okay. um, back in the day. But the school was great. It was fantastic when I was there. It was yeah. you know, the, the same way to, uh, as it is here. Full suit, black shoes, tie, and all this sort of stuff. And the 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 high standards, I, I think somebody can apply high standards to their children. Everybody can, you know you can. Yeah. You can expect your children to get a certain type of grade. Mm -hmm. But realistically, sometimes they can be that person and sometimes they might not be yeah. that person. Yeah. But obviously when you're younger and there's some signs of brightness or natural intelligence, it's common or natural for a parent to think, yeah. I want to see you reach your potential. Yeah. And so I don't think as much as there's an application of pressure, but a squeeze, yeah. you know, a squeeze of, you know, you can do better. We know you can get these grades. We want to see you work hard so you can get these grades. And I'm not talking like rigidity and a solid structure of um, you need to stay in your bedroom and do your work for five hours a day. It was just a constant reminder that you can get certain types of grades. Yeah. And I have three brothers. There's four boys in my house. And we all have varying academic skills. Some of us are much better at the arts and theatre and all that sort of stuff. So some are much better at the academic and numbers side and whatever. And albeit the line of work that I'm in, in terms of mathematics and pure mathematics, yeah. I'm not very good. I'm not very good. I can do what I need to do. I but you don't have to be that great at, you at don't, maths to, you don't, to be like a financial advisor. You definitely don't. And we can come back to that. But the answer to your question without being so long-winded, yeah. certain level of pressure was applied by our parents, yeah. uh, my parents, because they, they knew and expected that yeah. we could do what we could do okay. and they just wanted a good life for us okay. so and I'll give you a good story careers teacher that mm -hmm. we had he said and he was a biology teacher but he was also the careers teacher and he said if you don't work hard today in class you'll not get an A in this class and if you don't get an A in this class you might not get under this class for A level and if you don't get under this class for A level you might not get the A that you need to get under the university degree that you want and that might stop you from having the life that you want and that was when we were 14. Oh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> wow, but the reality of it is that yeah. it's so true yeah. because we might think, oh, you get a bad grade. The knock-on effect can be huge. It can be. So yeah. if you give everything that you can give, do the best that you can do and you get a grade, then that's your grade. Yeah. But if you, if you fall short because you didn't apply yourself, then that's different. It is a shame, right? To, 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 to fall short because you didn't apply yourself rather than your ability. Yeah. Right? Of course, of course yeah. it is. And we all know that. Uh, obviously, people's circumstances are different. Yeah, life happens sometimes, um, and it comes and goes. Yeah, and you can apply yourself to your full potential at different points of your life. Yeah, not everybody has to be a genius at school. Yeah, and mostly the geniuses who we know today were not geniuses at school. True, they became geniuses. They did. They did through hard work. Mm. Yeah. Um, what what would you say are some of the values that you feel like your parents passed? down to you because you did mention your parents quite a lot and how you're grateful uh values respect dignity privacy yeah um kindness being caring for people helping people um doing your best being yourself yeah all the natural things uh, we were always encouraged to do the right thing be men mm. as obviously there's boys in my family so be men and that you can be whatever you want to be mm. if you apply yourself in the right way. Yeah. Obviously, we all know that that's different. Circumstances is different. But in reality, with what's out there now, things like the Open University, you've, 
you can learn on Reddit, GitHub, all this sort of stuff. You literally can be whoever you want to be. Yeah. You just have to do it. No, like if if I if we both agreed today, mm. uh, we are going to learn Python, mm. programming language, yeah. or C plus plus. Yeah, there's no reason why we can't. True. So have just apply, decide. You just have to decide if you want to yeah. do it or not. So, um, good values, really good values, because at the end of the day, as an Irish person, the the foundation and the core of what most people would perceive us as is friendly and kind. Obviously, but there's much more things that be built on top yeah. of that. But yeah. um, do the best you can do. Be determined. Decide what you want to do with your life. Don't let life happen. Control what happens in your life. Mm. And basically understand that you have the power to do what you want. Yeah. Love that. Wow. Love that. Love that. Mm. I wanted to go back, fast forward a little bit mm -hmm. into a time where you're talking about uni, where where it seemed, you said you struggled college-ish mm -hmm. and then you went to uni. Defs. Uni, what did you study? What was it that you My, studied? My uh, undergraduate degree was accountancy and business management okay, at Liverpool Hope. Management. What was the, did you, was that something that you enjoyed? Is that what Accountancy? Yeah. Um, well, Here's a funny story. I obviously, as I said, I was a good student up yeah. until A levels, and excuse me, I decided that I wanted to do some. I, I decided that I liked money, like the 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 purpose of money and the concept of money, and I wanted to get on the line of work that involved that. Yeah. And so at the time, my grades weren't exactly where I wanted them to be, um, and I actually had planned to go to university in Belfast, Queen's University in Belfast, but at the time, my grades weren't there. And I had to be realistic and decide, right, well, what are my real options here? I'm not going to get three A's. So Queen's is out the window because you needed two A's in the B or three A's to get in there at A level. Um, So I decided between, and I applied for a few different courses, accountancy, international business, real estate, all these types of things around England. Um, But I ended up doing accountancy. And one of the major reasons was because my brother had already loved, he was in Liverpool at the time. But I thought accountancy you can't go wrong. Business management ties on my accountancy. Yeah. So it'll be okay. No matter what happens, I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, and I liked accountancy because there's so many things that you can do as an accountant as opposed to just learning um, something very specific that apply to a very specific job. Um, and so that's why I decided. Did I enjoy it? Not overly. Um, was it necessary? Yes. Yeah. And does it, in hindsight, was it good for me? Yes, based on where I am now. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So it helped it helped to that. And then how how did you go from, you know, university, obviously you graduated, I'm assuming. Yeah. To becoming a financial advisor. How how did uh that so finished my degree and I actually uh graduated as one of the top performers in my class. Okay. Oh wow. Um which was a big turnaround for yeah, me. Levels. First class? You got first um, class? No, I didn't actually. Okay. I got us 2 1. I got okay. 69. Okay. That was my overall oh, score. But in the last okay. year, I ex yeah. I was one of the highest performers in the oh, year, which okay. took me to a 69. Okay. Um, and the reason being at the time was because I don't really feel like I need to be the top class student because there's so many more things that I can apply myself and provide value wise other than just being an A student. But yeah. um, I done that. I graduated and I decided that I was going to come back from England. And I went to do a master's degree in Queens, which was risk management and investment analysis, mm -hmm. which was obviously more along the lines of you're talking like banking, finance and things like that. Yeah. And so I done that, finished that degree, um, got a commendation on that, which was sort of just like a B2-1 again, yeah. sort of middle of the road. And then I decided, right, 
what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. And before that, I was always the person and any of my family or friends would say, I always thought that I would have left Ireland and yeah. went maybe to London or abroad or maybe Middle East or something like that. But I decided at that point that I didn't want to leave Ireland mm. because I, at the time when I was in England, I was long distance with my missus. Okay. And so I was flying back and forth from England every couple of weeks to see her and she was coming over. But done the other degree, decided that I wanted to stay at home and try and make some type of success okay. at home. Interesting. And I went and seen a few recruiters, which are only a handful where I'm from. And I said, here's what I've qualified on. Here's what I want to do. Come back to me mm. whenever you've got the job. And after that, I started working in a bar, which I had worked in for since I was 16 until I was 20. Before I, uh, back and forth from England, I was working in this restaurant bar. And about five months later, somebody contacted me and said, oh, well, you you were looking for this type of job, weren't you? And I said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, might have somebody for you. And they decided um, that the guy that ran the company was friends with the guy that runs the company that I'm with now. Yeah. And he said, oh, I'm going to need somebody, somebody who's a wee bit different. And what he said, I mean, different, different, different in terms of uh, younger or it's a really strange because like if you studied accountancy, mm. um, you're not going to be somebody who's going, well, I don't want to be an accountant, but I, I want to apply myself in a different way where accountancy could be useful. Yeah. And I think that I, I'm a quite an edgy person when it comes to um, getting things done. Mm. If somebody, I'm not a perfectionist, I learn by doing. Yeah. And if somebody says, I want this done, I do it. Mm. And then the next time I do it, I'll try and do it better than they did it the first time. Okay. And so they wanted somebody just with a bit of grit, I think, okay. who could come into an industry where you had to go looking for work. You yeah. could, it wasn't just passed across your desk, which, yeah. and to be all, in all honesty, that's what accountancy is. Yeah. Um, an accountant who works in a firm or in practice or in industry, all the work gets given to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas in my line of work, that's not always the case. You have to go find that work. Mm-hmm. You have to find clients. You have to be the person that can actually do business. Yeah, be a salesman. Be be the person that can relate to people and get the job done. Which, when you're looking after a lot of money, like you need to be a certain type of person. Yeah. And so I was introduced to this guy anyway, and we had a cup of tea and a hotel uh, in the city. No interview, just a cup of tea and a chat, interview, um, giving me CV and all this sort of stuff. After about five minutes, a cup of tea, and he says, mm. I still remember the conversation. He said, mm, I, think, I think we can do something here. And so I went, that was in November. And at the time, at that time, I had taken a part-time, or not a temporary contract in a local university as a secretary, secretary. And so I'd done a few weeks as a as a as a trial per se, um, just to see how things would go. And then I, I officially started in January January first, and that was over five years ago. Okay. And I started as an administrator. So you started as an admin person. Admin. Wow. Admin. So what would they mean? Would they would they do what they do in movies, getting you to go and get coffees and file, uh, file papers and all that sort of sort stuff? Sort of, not necessarily. At, at the end of the day, we, we we have a lot of clients, but we run lean staff wise. Okay. So I was basically man in the office. I was the okay. the body on the office. So if the phone rang, it was me. Yeah. Um obviously naturally over time you get speaking to people. After that, I worked as an administrator for maybe a year and then I started to, to do what you would call para planning which is like assisting the it's basically what an assistant accountant would do mm-hmm. so you help the accountant do what they need to do but you're not licensed to do that okay. and then 
the opportunity came where somebody approached me and said, well, would you consider starting to do your exams and get, get licensed as, and uh, get the qualifications to be a financial advisor? And I said, yeah, okay. Yeah. And obviously because I've done two degrees, I went and contacted the, the CII, Chartered Institute of Insurance, who I've done my qualifications through, and asked them, I've done this past learning, yeah. will that help me in any way? And so basically they, they said, you don't even have to do half these exams, you only need to do some of them. Okay. Whereas a chartered accountant has to do 12 exams, mm. I think it's 12 or more. Um, a financial advisor has to do eight. I think I've done four. Okay. And I actually have exemptions for four or five of the advanced exams, mm -hmm. which to be chartered, and I'll do that this year. Um, and so jump through all the hoops. Um, they obviously go through your past and make sure that you're a reputable person yeah. and that you meet the requirements of the fit and proper test, it's called, to be a financial advisor. Mm. No, not any, anybody can be one. Mm. You have to have the background and you have to have the financial stability, not in the fact that you have to be loaded, mm. but you have to be a person who hasn't had financial difficulties in the past. Okay, um, really? Mm. Well, you can't take fine. financial advice yeah, from true. somebody that, who's that, been that's bankrupt. True, that's true. But well, isn't that harsh though, right? Like, Incredibly. Right? Incredibly. Because you can change. Everybody can change. Everybody course, can change. You know? And, you know, as of course, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because we don't get educated about money, right? Yeah. So uh -huh. it's a bit of a shame. It is. It is. Um, obviously, I don't know how it works with yeah. smaller enterprises. Yeah. But obviously, the nature of the the yeah. firm that I work with is stringent. They're yeah. very particular, and obviously, they're one of the biggest in the country. Yeah. So they, I think it's more of a a proactive um way to protect themselves that they don't get caught up in any dramas with anybody who's had uh, questionable pasts. Okay. And I don't blame them for that. Um, and at the end of the day. If it ever came out that somebody was giving advice to invest a million pound for somebody, but they had financial difficulties of their own yeah. in the past, can you question that person's integrity and the decisions that they're making? Which is harsh. It's, it's true. It it's is. True. It is harsh. I yeah, know that. Harsh, but it's, yeah. that's how people think. Yeah. You know? People do think like that. It's true. We Would do you think, think that way? Primacy. Uh, From you a, know what? I'm happy to give people second chances mm, if they're gonna change, right? Mm, I feel, mm, I feel, I feel like if you're actively changing, right? Yeah, yeah I'm happy to give you mm. give you a second chance. I think we we all deserve it. Um, so sorry, I was interrupting you. So you're talking about like, so this is the same company that you've worked at, right? Your entire entire time, and you worked your your way up to mm. becoming a financial advisor. Yeah. Did God you man. did you have to do? <laughs> I'm so lucky, I really. You are, yeah, you do, really yeah, am. you do, you do appreciate, which is good. It's it's quite refreshing because uh, a lot of people, I feel like, and again, I'm not bashing anybody. I feel like a lot of people don't are not don't look back and grateful for what they have, you know. But you, you come across really, really grateful. But I wanted to ask you, did you have to do certain things to get yourself up there? Because becoming a financial advisor within five years is quite fast, actually. Well, well I don't know. The well, it was actually licensed. I, I, was, I was licensed after two. Okay, that's so quite I started, fast. Yeah. started on the 1st of January, 2017, 2016, 2000, I think it was 2017. And I was appointed as a, as a license. I got my license from the people that I work with on the, yeah. on the 11th of January, 2019. Wow. So I done... You know your dates very well, too. Mm. <laughs> Because you, you you kind of have a photographic uh, memory. Because uh, if you were to ask me, oh, when did you start my previous company? I would have to go and check my CV. Mm. I'll go and check my CV. I do not know. Mm. I know maybe months, but not uh, actual yeah. dates. But the, the, the thing, to wow. be fair, you can actually correct me. I need to check this. It might, okay. It's the, the 11th or the 19th 
okay. and I'll check it and I'll come Still, back. Still, I mean, you've got a number. The thing, the thing is that once I'm the sort of person that once the once that door creak, see that opportunity just creaks open, and that there's a centimeter of a gap, my foot's going through the door. So when they came to me and said, "Would you consider starting exams and becoming a financial advisor and getting licensed?" I think I had five exams or four exams that I had to do, and that was and. I remember the first exam I'll give you the month. That was in maybe June, right, of 2018. And I started doing my, I done my first exam in September of 2019 because I studied for it while I was on holidays. And that's why my missus probably wants to kill me because I just don't stop. Studied it but on holidays. Studied it on holidays. I studied wow. for six weeks, R01, uh, Regulation and Ethics, CIA. Wow. And after that, I done three exams back to back every four weeks. And generally, it takes people three to four months mm. per exam. So, generally, it takes people up to two years or more to get the li- get the qualifications. And obviously, I didn't have to do some of the exams, but I had the exams done in five or six months. Okay. So I I went to work ninety five. I studied after work, and I had all the exams done between uh, September and March. And wow. I actually failed one. I failed one of the exams by two marks, but I repeated it two weeks later and passed it. And so, um. At the time, I just went, well, I have nothing, nothing to lose. This is this was literally the only job that I could have got at the time that would have fulfilled me mm. for what I was trying to do. Um, there's probably only four financial planning firms in my city, mm-hmm. and I, and there was no jobs. Mm. Somebody just, I, I don't know if I was lucky or if it was timing or whatever it was, mm. or the grace of God, if you want to call it that, mm. but whatever chance I got, I took it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to waste it. Okay. And I'm still not wasting it. Yeah. So, so how, how what 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 do you think accelerated that for you? Of course, you studied, but the opportunity to actually become like you you said that you you know you passed the exams within two years, mm. but actually become at saying okay, look, we trust you to become a financial advisor. What what happened? Yeah. Did you do? Was there certain things that you uh, did? Certain maneuvers? Did you impress them in some way? Do you know what I think that? Do you ever see the pursuit of happiness? I have. I can't remember it though. So, and yeah. in parts of the pursuit of happiness, obviously, everybody goes to work and learns what they need to learn, do the exams that they need to do to get where they need to go. Walt Smith, obviously, in that film, done all these small things that were basically based on determination and grit and things like that. And by no chance is my life anywhere near that. My, I'm very privileged and touch wood, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Thank God. But the the reality of it is that everything that I done was a real was some level of under promise and over deliver. So when I spoke to clients on the phone, I was able to tap on and without being a financial advisor, start to engage in the conversations and talk to them about things. And um there was times where if we needed three years ago we were all paper, no digital, no digital um paperwork, yeah. no digital signatures, all paper. And I was in my early twenties and we needed paperwork signed from a yeah. client for investments which was an hour and a half drive. Mm. And I says, I'll go. I'll, okay. I'll give me the papers, I'll go. Wow. Uh, and I went, got the papers signed, brought them back. And then at that point, I think they started to realize that I was willing to go out there and, and put myself out there because it's it's not easy. No, it's not easy to go to, go to work and be motivated to walk out the door, go into a stranger's home, mm-hmm. talk to them about their finances when they've never met you. Mm-hmm. Or be on a journey where somebody's trusting you to look after their, their life savings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I couldn't put a, a pun on exactly what I did, but obviously whatever I did, they liked it, whether timing or not and luck 
was factored into that, I would say so. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, it was good timing for me, and I, I, I got a break yeah. in some way. Um, but I think that just generally wanting to do it, because mm-hmm. I, I never, when I took the job, I'll be completely honest with you, when I took the job, I went, I don't have another job. I need a job, mm-hmm. and this is the best thing going. And at the time, the the remuneration or remuneration, if you want to call it that, was puttons. <laughs> okay. was puttons in comparison to what you would think. And yeah. so for me, I thought whenever I'd done all these degrees and got these fancy letters and whatever, that I would mm-hmm. walk into a good job, Yeah, which I think everybody does. Everybody but does that, yeah. life slapped me right in the face. Yeah. And I was like, right, well, reality check. Mm. Time to get the shoes on and hit the pavement. And yeah. so I took the job and thought, right, good company, good opportunities. This could really go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then when I got there, I just went all in, basically. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, over the years, I've been swayed and tempted by all our opportunities and all our companies and all these types of things. But when there's a lot of noise, it's you have to stay with tunnel vision. Mm. And I know that there's something there in front of me, mm. tangibly, that I can see and I plan for it. And it's going to, it will happen. I know it'll happen because I'll not accept that it. it won't what, happen. What is that? What's that? Well, can you tell us? Can you tell us well, a geez, little bit of uh, what, what that is? Because you're saying you've got a plan. So, yeah, we'll the, plan, the plan. The plan is, uh, what age am I now? I'm 28. In reality, by the time, in 10 years, I think I'll be able to decide if I want to work or not. Okay. That is the plan. Financially. That is the plan. Okay. And it's financially free in a sense, but the there's a lot of freedom. I have a lot of freedom and what I do now in terms of, like, I don't have to be in work at a certain time. Sometimes I might work till 11 o'clock at night, but if if I wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning and think, oh, I'm tired, maybe I'll just sleep for another hour, I do that. Yeah. So I'm very blessed that I can do that and that I'm trusted to do that because no matter what I do day to day, the numbers still come. Mm. So you're the difference between working a normal job, like being an accountant, is you're there from 95 and you're expected to do a certain level of work and that will pr- produce a certain level of return for the company. Whereas for me, it's you're responsible now. Mm-hmm. So it's not I go to work and get paid for what I do. It's you're responsible for this people's these people's money. Yeah. You're responsible for what you're doing with their money and so on. Um, and so overall, it's just, it's, it's my, my plans is that in 10 years time I'll, I'll have put enough work in where I'll be I'll be happy with what I have and that I'll have freedom of choice and that's the biggest thing and that was instilled in us from a young age you could be worth a hundred million quid but if you have are glued to what you're doing every day 24-7 then what's the point mm. because even now the impact that it has on relationships whenever you're so active and you're so clued on to what you're doing all the time and, and focused on what you're doing it has an impact and there is a ripple effect there. Yeah. And so I want to do as much as I can do so I can get to a point where I know that it's an, enough. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I can decide and I'll have more freedom of choice and more ability to say yes and no to certain things mm-hmm. and do other stuff as well. Yeah, It's not all about making money. I want to have hobbies and I want to pursue hobbies. I want to support people. Um, I want to help people uh, who need a break. Like I needed a break. Um, because at the end of the day, all it takes is, like, you can make that difference to somebody. Yeah. You know, and I think that's crazy. Yeah. And uh, I think that is the plan. The, the plan is absolutely blow the lid off it for the next five years at okay. least. And then think about maybe having children. 
Yeah. And then after that, um, give it another five years and see where I stand, and then make decisions then. So okay. short and long term. Yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a big picture person. I think about the, what I want to see, mm. and then the 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 stuff in between falls into place. Whereas some other people think about the everyday, and then that ultimately turns yeah. into something. But I'm just like. There's me, and that's that's probably as much detail as I'm willing to give okay. because I don't want to talk shit, <laughs> and I don't. The one of the biggest problems, and I learned this when I was doing my A levels, yeah. was I expected myself to get an A, mm. but I I didn't do anything about it, mm. so I can't come in here and spot out things that I want with my life. Yeah, and then when I get there, I go, geez, I didn't do what I needed to do yeah. to make that happen. Mm. So I'm going to do what I need to do, mm. and whatever comes out of it. Yeah. Is what happens. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, uh, that makes sense. I, I, you know what? I, you're, you're so driven anyway, right? So I think that, yeah, you're driven. That's that's all I can say. You're motivated. You're driven. I am I motivated. See, I can um, see that there motivated. is a lot there. I, I can see that you do have a plan, but it's one of those one you're humble enough to be like you might not meet the plan because mm. you you know you're quite ambitious. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about like what you do today, uh, financial advising. So yeah. you. You you were telling me off cam that you manage between you and your colleague 50, 50 million pounds, right? Yeah. That's, That's an enormous it. amount of money yeah. to be managing, right? Mm -hmm. And you manage this on behalf of other people. Talk me through what that's like. And um, yeah, just talk me through what that's like. So... Day to day, it's probably a lot less than you would think. It's different than you would think. Um, I think a lot of people think when you're managing money that it's like Wall Street, mm. Michael Doug Douglas and Charlie Sheen, yeah, you know, like doing trades and all this sort of stuff. It's not like that. Um, whenever you are managing certain amounts of money, there's processes in place and the structure of how these things are run is very streamlined. So you're using computer systems, you're using... Um, onboarding and offboarding and all this sort of stuff and so day to day the reality is that we provide advice when people have money or have pensions or need insurance we provide them the advice of, of based on what they want so we don't talk at people and tell them what they need in some cases we do especially when it comes to inheritance tax but generally somebody comes to us and says this is what i want to see or i want to do with my money and then we facilitate that in the best way possible from a from a taxation point of view and helping their money grow and compound for the future mm. um and so day to day our job is to do that we give advice but we also have to provide a service for the people we've already advised in the past mm -hmm. and so generally we are required by our regulator they service our clients mm. on a certain uh, periodic basis they ensure that their investments remain suitable now and under the future so people's circumstances change on average every three or four years so obviously when you're working and you're accumulating money, then you are in the, the position where you could invest money or save money. But when you retire, obviously you're not in that position anymore. So you have to consider the person's circumstances. Should the, the person's investments be as risky as they were when they were working? Um, should they consider start starting to take money out of those things? And so day to day, that's, that's basically what a job is at a very high level is advising new people and continually providing an ongoing service to the old people hmm. but are you looking for the nitty gritty of what happens on a day-to-day -day, like no, even no, more no. specifically no no because it's very boring yeah and it's all numbers on the screen yeah it really is um and well, doesn't don't you feel like there's do you feel any pressure managing because that's a lot that's an enormous amount of money right 
I mean, you're probably used to it. In comparison to some others? No. I mean, in comparison to the everyday person. Right? Oh, comparison to the everyday person. Right? Yeah, but um, yeah. there's I people. Mean, not everybody, people don't see 25 million just no. um, going about, right? It's it's very normalized in the sense that I trust what we're doing and yeah. the setup that we have and, the, and what's provided to us by the company that we are uh, representative of. We trust them um, and they put millions of pounds on the research and development and okay. back office and administration. So I know that as long as we play the cards right, that there's a high probability, never guaranteed, but there's a high probability that what we're doing for somebody will work out. Okay. But you just have to do it in the right way where you're comfortable and the client's comfortable. Okay. Because if there's any level of uncomfort, then you've overshot it. So... If I were to give you advice and invest your money in a certain way and then you feel uncomfortable over a period of time because the value of your money is moving around a lot or um, you feel like you are, you've invested too much of your disposable income or the money that you have, then I haven't done my job right. Okay. So my personal opinion is to be conservative and because I work with a lot of younger people is long-term over short-term. So comfortable long-term investing over short-term aggressive investing you can be aggressive but it's a matter of managing both my expectations and your expectations mm -hmm. and when people promise clients or new prospects as they're called returns that are just unrealistic then that's when things get uncomfortable okay so people think financial advice and, and wealth management is all about growing your money and that is a certain element of it but it's about managing your money and a tax perspective from an access perspective, from a succession plan and an intergenerational planning perspective. So my view is that you can make loads of money investing, right? But if you don't do it in a tax efficient way, then you're just going to destroy the returns because you have to pay loads of tax. Yeah. So tax is number one. How do you invest the money or deal with money in the most tax efficient way possible? So then whenever it does grow and has a chance to grow, that that is a, as efficient as it can be and it minimizes the tax. Because you could you could make um say for example, hire a taxpayer earns a hundred grand a year, makes fifty grand in investments over a ten year period, and then it cashes them in and they have to pay between forty and forty five percent tax or losing forty grand of that, fifty grand of that, the taxes. Whereas but that's based on I'm keeping this very general, by the way, that that's if the investment applies to their income, right? But if you invest a hundred grand for somebody or fifty grand for somebody or whatever, and that makes 55 grand yeah. instead of 100 over the same period of time, but it's not taxable, then you put that person in a better position. Yeah. Even if it's only by four or 5,000, mm -hmm. they're still in a better position. Yeah. And so our job really is to, to be appropriate based on what the client wants. Yeah. And I know that um, financial planning itself can be can be seen or perceived to be quite complicated, mm -hmm. but it's it's actually quite simple. Mm. We leverage the, the legal and governmental products uh, and regulations so we can put people in a better position save tax and grow their money for the future yeah. um, and avoid taxes so that is as simple as it comes mm. and the, outside of that obviously we give general guidance on yeah. how you manage your money what can you do with your pensions your workplace pensions put money away for your children what bank account should you use and all these types of things and we obviously as a wealth management company span much wider than that on the consultant private banking cash management all that sort of stuff but that's sort of way in the background okay um does that make sense yeah that makes sense as i know I, that's a lot but yeah that, that makes sense I, I had a question what what you know through your observation you know managing a lot of wealthy people's money 
What would you say the wealthy do better than the everyday person in regards to Ooh, I've been I've actually been talking about this recently. What wealthy people do better than people who aren't wealthy, right? Is they don't spend money unless it gives them utility. That's what I've seen. Really? Uh, so Seriously. So they in a way they're a bit this might sound a bit, you know, whatever. Stingy almost. Not I don't want to say stingy, right? Because you no, know, like you could find um somebody who's wealthy, right? Mm. And say let's say they have a million pound mm. and that wealthy person would go out there and they would say, Right, I could buy this Ferrari or this Lamborghini or this S class or C L three fifty or whatever it is. Oh lovely cars for a hundred grand. Or I could go and buy these two properties and put 50 grand down each on them mm -hmm. or 100 grand down and buy one property. They think so efficiently and they say, well, if I buy this property and I do this and I rent it out or Airbnb it or whatever and generate this amount of money from it, then I can use that money to go and buy the Ferrari and then I've got both. Right. So they're all okay. about using the money as leverage and, and use, because money is just a tool. You know, that money is just there. They achieve something else. So some people spend it on things that are that are nonsensical, and then some people leverage it. Yeah. And so that's not everybody can do that. Obviously, these people have to accumulate that money over time. But at a very high level, that's what they do. They use their money in ways that can help them create more money. Mm. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of wealthy people out there that like spending money too yeah. on holidays or giving money to their family or whatever. Um, but on a more specific level, I would say that commitment and discipline is probably the biggest thing. Okay. Because a lot of wealthy people that I've seen or that I've come across, it's not like they were handed 50 million quid like Donald Trump was from his parents mm. or his father or whatever. I'm sorry, Donald. But it's long-term commitment and accumulation of money that they've earned and worked for. So, yes, you can be somebody who has a, earns £100,000 a year. But if you save 20 grand a year of that and invest it over a 20-year period, you could well enough have between half a million and a million pound and then that ultimately could pass on to your next generation of your family and then they leverage it even more some people grow a business and sell it for three four five million pound and then generate new money off the back of that and so the differences that i have found is that even people who aren't wealthy people who are just very comfortable is that they understand that they can't spend everything they have to do something with some some of their money in order to provide a better future yeah because at the end of the day, we talked about a hamster wheel already. Yeah. If you earn money and it goes on one side of the hamster wheel and then you spend it, it comes out the other side of the hamster wheel, so you yeah. just stay on. Yeah. Or if you consider it like a bath, you earn money and you turn the tap on and the bath fills up with water. Mm -hmm. But if you keep spending it, you're just letting the water out the bottle. Yeah. Eventually, you have to do something with some of it or you'll just, you'll no, nothing ever changes. Yeah. So the way that I see it is if you can even do something and, and this is all from a financial point of view everybody has there's so many different things about people that are that are worth something in life you know, in terms of integrity and dignity and yeah. being a good parent and whatever but if you can leave something behind that your parents never let, left you behind then that's your the next generation's ahead a step ahead yeah and if everybody does that and does that and does that then eventually you're all Rockefellers yeah and that's exactly what the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds all did yeah just leveraged wealth over generations and that's that's what we're here to do. Yeah, love that. And how how are they looking at inflation this year? Like some of your clients, and how are they looking to tackle 
will beat inflation. The, ta- the, the clients themselves, in terms of an investment point of view, or their own perception? Just generally, yeah, generally. Uh, well, I'm just trying to understand the difference between how they're thinking about it versus us, like how we how we think about it. We well, do. at the end of the day, our our clients, we manage their money and they they rely on us. They tell them what's going on in the world and what's going on in the markets and things like that. And that's why whenever we have information coming from the highest of the highest sources, then that makes us feel more confident when we speak to our clients, right? Okay. So inflation itself, obviously, is part of, of is part of the economy. And inflation has occurred because the government threw out a lot of money during the pandemic basically that's what happens so whenever the pandemic happened and people didn't have as much money and people lost jobs the government started to provide all the support which in my opinion my own opinion is um was basically like backdoor quantitative easing is what you would call it and that's whenever um the government prints loads of money and basically that means that there's more money in circulation so things cost more money and generally what happens is whenever inflation gets higher like that, the government will stop printing money in order to create a limited supply of money in circulation. So it brings inflation down, right? But because of what happened during the pandemic, that wasn't the case. And the government had to keep propping up the economy basically by doing this, giving out support and doing whatever. And so whenever they stopped giving out that support, then they had to start putting the interest rates up because they were trying to... Um, I would have put this. <laughs> yeah, trying, we're a genre free ma- podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. I'm sure. trying. I'm trying to make this sample. So, so whenever they printed all this money, it makes inflation go up essentially, and so they start to raise interest rates so they can try and bring the bring inflation down yeah. so they can contract the economy. So when they print loads of money, it expands the economy because they're pumping more money into the economy so it can grow, which is basically what America's been doing for the last fifty years. Yeah. Um because they have a lot of national debt. So when they put interest rates up, that was to try and curb mm. the effects of inflation. Yeah. And so we're at a point now where it's actually quite a strange point because inflation has went up and it peaked out. Um, interest rates are rising because they're trying to they offset inflation with interest rates and that's part of the policy that the Bank of England and the government are trying to work out. And they expect that the interest rates are going to go up slightly higher. Mm-hmm. They may be like 4.5%. Uh, don't quote me on this. This is just what I'm reading um, and what, what people are saying and expecting. It was a Bank of England actually said they expected they peak out at 4.5%. Yeah. And once that happens and interest rates are higher, that affects the ability for companies to grow because they might be paying money back on, on the debts that the company holds. Mm-hmm. Consumer debt obviously becomes more expensive so yeah. people can't spend as much money. And eventually all those things trickle together and create contraction in the economy. Mm-hmm. And so that brings inflation down. So, and inflation obviously has an effect on the markets too. Yeah. Um, high interest rates generally have a negative effect on the stock markets, which is what we're what we've experienced. Stock markets have recovered, and so what my opinion is that inflation's high. Um, it was necessary during COVID because of what happened, and they needed to support the economy. Now they've raised the interest rates to try and contract the economy. Um, and it is squeezing. We both know that it's squeezing the economy. It's squeezing people's pockets. The cost of living's going up, but ultimately. I think that it's going to turn a corner very quickly. Okay. Um, and in terms of the markets and, and how clients feel about it, the worst has sort of already happened. So okay. 2010 to 2020 was basically 10 years of positive returns in the markets. Mm-hmm. And COVID was very sharp and, and, and a rapid fall in the markets, which is near enough as more, had more velocity than the financial crash had in 2008, mm-hmm. the fall during COVID in the stock markets. Mm-hmm. And so 
investors have already been through that period of time, which was very difficult. We got a lot of phone calls and a lot of people were, were concerned. But ultimately, already, those people have superseded their returns. Okay. Now. Oh, nice. So there, wow. say you had a hundred thousand pound that fell to seventy during COVID, mm. which probably market fell between twenty five and thirty percent. Those people's funds would have returned to a hundred and superseded a hundred now at this okay. point, before the invasion of Ukraine and Eastern Europe, mm. and so that had another effect then on the markets, and all these things then. Um, caused an effect on the commodities market oil and gas because of what's happening in middle and yeah. eastern europe yeah. which then had a higher effect on inflation and so all these things there is a whole recipe that has not really been happening since 2008 mm -hmm. so this is basically the first sort of bump on the road since 2008 yeah um and so what the feeling is now is that from a client point of view yes it's a wee bit unsettling it's a wee bit uncomfortable but when, when we invest clients money obviously it's diversified and it's mm -hmm. not concentrated so there's a balance happening there there's a protection to some sort of capital protection there albeit that their their, their funds may have fallen mm -hmm. um but ultimately the worst has happened when things turn a corner it's likely even though we are potentially going into a recession that over the next year or two things will improve mm -hmm. inflation will come down china's opened the stores again already and the economy will start to expand again and okay. so will the markets and so will clients investments and their returns okay. so there is a lot of logic that goes on there mm. but the bottom line is you when you invest money you're supposed to be investing for the long term mm. so if you're investing money for two years then the probability of you losing money is so much higher mm. whereas whenever you invest money for the long term the probability of you losing money dramatically decreases mm -hmm. so the longer you invest the less chance you will lose money. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there's volatility along the ways and things like that. But ultimately, if you're not investing your money for five or ten years plus, then don't invest your money. Yeah. Because the chance of you losing is so much higher in those first few years. Yeah. Because there's no compounding, there's no um ability for your funds to snowball. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's how that's how investments work, even when markets are falling. Um, and there's another video on my page actually about that, but I'll not go into details. It's quite complicated. Yeah. So does that make sense? Though? Yeah. No, that makes. I know. I'm sort of. I'm talking no, a lot, but hopefully it. Actually no, I no. Yeah, no. And the listeners will get it as well because we have we have touched on investing. I, I I wanted to ask you actually, as all of this was going on, because you know you as a financial advisor, right? Mm -hmm. You get the news about like you know the the war in Ukraine. Yeah. You know COVID. From your perspective, how did it feel to go through all of that? Right in your capacity, was it? Did it feel? Because you must have obviously now it's we we returned to a little bit of normality. Yeah. When those events are happening, I'm imagining you're getting loads of clients calling you. Mm. You know, how, how how does it feel? How how did it feel for you? Uh, COVID, you? Uh, the pandemic was a lot worse. Yeah. Um, but obviously because at the end of the day we look after a lot of money. Um, a lot of it is to do with my colleague. Um, because obviously I'm in the only in the game a few years, and albeit that I I'm building on it, and what I look after personally is quite sizable. Together, we we service that amount of money, and so I would say for me it was a bit different because a lot of people that I deal with are um early investors, people who are starting out investing and things like that, and in reality I feel more comfortable in the markets fall, because for new investors, there's no better time for the market to fall than at the very beginning. Yeah. Because you're averaging down in your investments and that can create more growth in the future. But from an overall point of view, from a from a business point of view and looking after the majority of clients, it's concerning. You know, at the end of the day, we have to trust that the markets will continue to provide returns 
like they have always done. But yeah. we have to take that with a pinch of salt because it's not guaranteed. You know, everybody knows that returns in the in the in the financial markets aren't guaranteed, and we have to make people very aware of that. Um, and sometimes clients would be think on the on the mind frame that we are the people who decide how the money's invested and how the money grows and so on and so forth. But it's fund managers that do that. Yeah. We advise them on where they can put their money, i.e. an investment portfolio that's been constructed by fund managers and an investment committee. That would be appropriate for them. And we have autonomy over that and how that works. But the actual companies and the investments and securities that's held within them mm -hmm. is all dealt with by fund managers. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they would hold us accountable yeah. where we are not fully accountable. We are the people who monitor and manage and make decisions based on what's happening. Mm -hmm. I.e. somebody could call us and say, I'm a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. No, I've been in, my money's been invested for 10 years and I've made good returns and something like these world events that we've seen mm -hmm. could panic them and they could say, look, I'm just not comfortable. Can you move my money away and the cash? No problem. We can do that. Sometimes we'll say, look, that's not a good thing to do because generally from a human psychology point of view, psychologically, people start making those decisions when the worst has already happened. Mm -hmm. So during COVID, the markets fell from March to the end of April, probably, or maybe February to April. Or at, at the worst point, anyway, it was maybe between 25 and 35%. And when it's down 25 or 30%, that's when people start calling saying, oh, I'm panicked here. Can we take my money out? Yeah. And that's the worst time because the worst has happened because the probability of the markets going down more at that point is so much lower yeah. than they were months before that. And so... The, the markets themselves are very react, uh, reactionary whenever people decide based on what's happened instead of what can happen going forward. So um, it can be difficult. Uh, and whenever you go through periods of turbulence in the markets, then obviously that affects the ability for you to do new business with yeah. new clients. Yeah. So um, it's not exciting, but nor is it is it um, unnecessary because markets will rise and fall. Mm -hmm. It's guaranteed that markets will go up and down. Yeah. Timing will matter. So you can invest in peaks and troughs. Obviously, we try and invest clients' money over time. They get averages of that. But if somebody's investing their money and they think that their money's going to go up every year, then they're they're not in reality. They're delusional because <laughs> that's not the way it works. Yeah. Um. So concerning, interesting, but it's necessary because you need the experience of being in periods like that. No, there's there's no fund managers, investment managers, financial advisors that haven't been through some sort of adversity when it comes to markets in their careers. Yeah. No, you need that experience. Yeah. And if I had started giving financial advice 10 years ago, I would have had 10 years of, of daisy fields and happy endings. Yeah. Whereas I'm because I'm only giving advice up to, what, four years or something, is it now, or three years, four years, um, I've experienced that now. So it, it weathers me and it gives me a lot more experience going forward even yeah. though i am young yeah so it helps yeah so i'm trying to take the positive out of it yeah you know what I mean? yeah yeah i'm trying, no, I'm I'm trying. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um so of course we, we don't always have financial advisors on the show mm. um what what is the one financial tip if someone was going to follow if you're going to tell them follow this tip what would that be oh there's so many good ones but I, i'm trying to bring it down to one right Uh, I would say the best tap or the best thing that I could say about money is time is the winner. Time will always win. When you think if you invest your money from your 18 years old until you're 50, the 
effects and the significance of the snowballing and compound effects in your money over the long term are huge and gigantic. Whereas if you only decide that you want to do something about that when you're in your 40s or 50s, the game's a lot different. So people think that generating investment returns through aggression, investing in aggressive things like crypto, don't invest in crypto. Um, you can do if you want a money joking. But investing in things that seem to have a high probability or a high uh, potential for return in a short period of time, volatility is not going to get you there. And you'll hear about people who make so much money in crypto, but they lose it as well. Mm-hmm. So they make it and then they lose it. Whereas if you invest semi-aggressively in the right way for 40 years, the compounding effect will be huge. And so that would be my number one is use time to your advantage. Don't wait until you're 30 or 40. They start doing something about your finances. Do it when you're young. Even if you're only doing a small amount of money that you may feel is insignificant in the long term, it won't be. It will be more significant. Yeah. Um. So that's that's probably the main one. And then after that is tax. Okay. Don't pay any tax. That end up, if you can avoid the tax, avoid the tax. Yeah. So that that's it. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, we need to get you in for another episode uh, to talk about tax uh, tax avoidance, right? Uh-huh. right hey, well, it's a legal, it's right, legal. tax avoidance is legal. We want to avoid as much tax as we want. Nobody uh, likes tax, let's nah, be real. Nah. Um thank you so much, Oren. What so what do you have planned next for yourself? Plan next for myself. Obviously, I'm getting married. Um head down. Twenty twenty three is the year that I will be pumping as much valuable information out as I can online. Um, over the last few years, I've been online and I've been sort of privately sharing information, but this year, openly and as much as possible, putting out there as much free, valuable information about finances, money, stock markets, and stuff that you won't hear from the normal uh, money and personal finance page. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm a licensed and regulated financial advisor with a bucket load of experience and a lot of experience educationally behind that. So I'm trying to project that all out there uh, because we're in a, an age where people need to know about money. Yeah, We have no, uh, if we don't learn more about money, then we're, we're not going to be able to succeed in any other way yeah. because the way the world's going is that things are getting worse mm-hmm. for the average person. Yeah. So it seems I'm, to be every. It is. It is. It's. It's. It's yeah. guaranteed. The wealth gap's getting bigger. So I'm trying to put the information out there so that people have it, mm-hmm. and they can decide what they want to do with it yeah. instead of freaking out and being apprehensive about, oh, do I have to pay money to go and see a financial advisor? Mm-hmm. I'm putting it out there for free. Yeah. As not advice, education. I don't give out advice online, but I'm trying to educate people on what they can do, what the options are, and then they can make their own decisions. Yeah. Love that, love that, love that. And do you have any final words for the listeners and watchers? Um, final words, be good to yourself. Money is only money. It can be good for you if you do things right with it, but it's not the be all and end all of your life. Um, don't chase it. Um, it'll come in abundance if you do the right things and um, use it wisely because in 30 years when you look back, you'll regret not using it wisely. And it's true, you will. You always have the regrets, right? <laughs> like crazy, crazy. Wisdom. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank for, you very uh, much you as know, well. I really appreciate giving it. Giving so much uh great information, you know, talking about your journey, um, talking about your days of, you know, doing financial advising and also giving us an insight into like what the difference is between the, you know, the wealthy and you know, us let, let me not say normal people, but us who are maybe not so wealthy. And I think it's like you said, it's just the practices. It's not 
with we're all people, but it's just the practices of how they think. That's the secret. The application, right? That's, that's the secret, that's right? That's the secret is there's no secret, people. Yeah. There's rules. Just follow the rules yeah. and it'll happen. Exactly. Just follow the rules. Just follow right? the rules. Um. So, yeah, no, amazing. We we really appreciate you uh, coming down today and just, you know, just imparting so much wisdom on us. Thank Watch you so listeners. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, this episode of Take for Experience. And, yeah, we'll uh, see you in next week's episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.